We'll go in the book of Colossians. Let's find our Bibles, if you would, please, and go to the book of Colossians. We have taken time some time ago to go book by book through the Bible, went through Genesis and talked about the Old Testament book of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of course, Genesis tells us how God started the human race with Adam and Eve, how he started the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarah. And at the end of Genesis, 72 people that are descendants of Abraham now live in Egypt. They stay 400 years and they grow to well over a million. Some think even as many as 3 million people. And they become slaves and God, they cry for a deliverer. God sends Moses, takes them out of Egypt. And, uh, but uh, that's the book of Exodus, how they exited out of Egypt. Leviticus is a book of worship. It's teaching the Levitical priesthood, uh, God's word and his ways of worship. And really, Exodus tells us how God got his people out of Egypt. Leviticus tells us how he got Egypt out of his people. And uh, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might, sin, might not sin against God. And getting the word of God in our hearts and God's ways is very, very important. I was talking today with a man um, on the radio with Brother John DeGon, and he says to me, Pastor, of all the churches God led me to, not only to get me saved, but I'm so glad I went to a church so I could learn the Bible. He said, Pastor, it seems like every service, somebody, whoever it's you or somebody else, every Sunday school class, someone's teaching me something new. And I don't remember everything I learned, but I do remember I'm learning stuff as I'm going. And he walked out of the, uh, the studio today and he said, Pastor, um, I'm not just a better Christian, I'm a better person. Uh, since I came to know Jesus and learned the word of God. What he's telling me, he had Egypt in him. <laughs> and God's word brought Egypt out of him, and it made him a better, better husband, a better friend, a better son, a brother, all those things that God wants us to be. But now we're traveling through. The Old Testament has five divisions. The, the law of Moses, the history of the Israelite people, beginning at Joshua and ending at Esther, and then Psalms and Proverbs, the major prophets or larger prophetical books, and then the minor prophets, the smaller prophetical books that go from Hosea there to Malachi. In the New Testament, it equally has five divisions. The Old Testament has the books of the law. The New Testament has the Gospels, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew says he's a king. Mark, he's a servant. In, uh, in Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. And then the Old Testament gives a history of the Israelite people, and the New Testament gives a history of the early church. And that, that is in the book of Acts. It's all in hysterical, uh, not hysterical, historical book. Some things might get hysterical. When a guy falls out of a window, that gets you hysterical, I imagine. But uh, for the most part, it's an historical book of the early church. God wanted the world to hear about his son and wanted the world to hear about God. He chose initially the Israelite people. But they failed, and God had a plan if they failed, and that was the Gentile church, you and I, the local church doing its job around the world. It's the church's job to not only protect the doctrines of the Bible, but to propagate the doctrines of the Bible. Not every church has done that. Not every building that has church on the outside of it is really a church. There's some churches you could go to in Ham, Indiana, and you couldn't get saved there if your life depended upon it. Because they long time ago failed to protect and propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should be our goal. This church could do the same thing. I don't want this church to ever be uh, infiltrated with people that don't care about the truth, don't care about the gospel, don't propagate the gospel. 
I believe God has put many in many churches, even liberal churches, a remnant of people who truly are saved, and, uh, but uh, that, uh, that they're oftentimes are in those places. But I, I'm very thankful, and I want to be a church that continues to propagate and protect the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. And then, of course, it has Paul's writings, uh, beginning with Romans and, and um, concluding with Philemon. And then it has the general letters, and then it has prophetic themes in the book of the Revelation. So it kind of starts with history and with the, the law and history. And, and, the, and the New Testament begins the same way and concludes with the book of the Revelation, much of which has not been fulfilled. Chapters 4 through chapters 22 of Revelation are still uh, in our future. And some of the Old Testament prophets the same way, Daniel and so forth, Ezekiel, you'll see that as well. Well, tonight we're studying a little book called Colossians. The book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. Once again, it's one of those books that he wrote while we believe he was in a hired house in Rome. He had gone through a shipwreck. He had gone from being transported from, uh, from Caesarea Philippi by uh, Julius, which is uh, his, uh, his centurion soldier. And whenever he got to Rome, he turned in all the other prisoners to the jail. And uh, he, I think he negotiated to get Paul to get a personal guard with him to live in a hired house in Rome. This would be, he would be incarcerated two times in Rome, the first time in his own home, on house arrest with a, a guard there. The second time, he would be in the Mamertine prison, and it would be very miserable there, much more miserable. But in the first time, he wrote several books of the Bible. He wrote the book of Ephesians. He wrote the book of Colossians that we're reading here. He wrote the book of Philemon, and several others, probably the book of Philippians. In the, in the Mamertine jail, he may have written the book of Second, um, Second uh, Timothy. And uh, that would have been his last, uh, you know, his uh, swan song, if you will. Uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he wrote that under uncomfortable situations. He might, you might remember what he told Timothy, do thy diligence to come before what? Winter. And make sure you bring my coat, bring my books and my reading, and especially bring the parchments of the scriptures. I want to be able to, by the way, he never stop learning. Uh, never stop learning. Keep on learning. Keep on asking God, teach me more from your word. And we see that in the Apostle Paul. Even though he said, now the time of my departure is at hand, he was still asking for more information from God's word and from God's truth. And you and I will do the same thing. Well, here he wrote this church, of, this church. And most of the books that he wrote, he had been there. He started the church, uh, like the church of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. He stayed there for three years. The church of, of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he stayed there for a year and a half and started that, those churches. Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, he wrote the book of the 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, although, although he was just there for a short time, he wrote them. But the book of Colossae, or the, the city of Colossae, he actually did not go there. There are two books that he wrote that he had not been there when he wrote them. But he, they both had the same thing in common. They had been people who started those churches were led to Christ by Paul. And it looks like a man named Epaphras was the pastor of the church. He was the man that he delivered. He came and visited Paul while he was in Rome and gave him information about uh, the churches there and the church at Colossae. As a result of the information, he writes back a letter to these people and we call it the book of Colossians. I am glad we have the book of Colossians. 
I think it was probably written uh, right, right close to the book of Ephesians. If you read the book of Ephesians, those six chapters divided for us in our Bible and four in Colossians, you'll see a similar theme in a way. You'll see he does the first three, three chapters of Ephesians is very doctrinal in nature. And then the last three, four, five, and six are very practical in nature. And both of them, he, he weaves in the, 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 the ap application to start with hus wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Be not bitter against them. Fathers, help your children. Develop your children. Provoke them not to wrath, but bring them up and nurture and in the Lord. He tells the children, obey your parents in the Lord. He says, servants, submit to your employers. Employers. Love, your, love and, and help the people that work with you and be a good employer because you have a, you have a master in heaven as well. And he, you can see a lot of the similar things are there, but he's writing to a group of people he has not yet met. Now, he knows some of them, and he'll reference them in the last part of the book of Colossians, but it is a great, rich book. In Ephesians, he speaks about the body of Christ and that we're all a body and that Jesus is the head. But Colossians definitely, uh, he preaches and teaches people that Jesus is the head of everything. And he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the head. And it is a great book of the Bible. It looks like to me the people of Colossae, were a, they were a multicultural church. But they had two factions. One was the Jewish Orthodox Jew who had come out, of, come out and been saved, but was really stuck on keeping the Old Testament ordinances. They were very strict and somewhat legalistic in their way. On the other hand, they had the liberal Greek, the liberal Grecian, and those who are just more worldly in the way that they had grown up worldly. They had been exposed to all the, the Socrates and the... Uh, and uh, all the, the Plato's and all the folks who had been there, they had got that and the wickedness of their, of their backgrounds. Where the Jews, they were, they were monotheistic. They believed only in God. The Greeks had many other gods, and being uh, sex is one of them, or immorality is another one, of course, and finances and, and education was one of them. So they, they took that into Christianity. So all of us, we have that problem too. Even in First Baptist Church of Hammond, we have some folks, you were raised in it. This is what you know, and, and you have some things that you've got deep inside of you, and you know what you believe and why you believe it. And some of us, we, and by the way, we need that, but we also have other people that have lived their life in the world. They weren't raised in it. And sometimes it gets mixed up. Some of the people that were raised in it go worldly, and the other people who came out of the world, they're trying to get, get right. But in this church, it seemed like it was very eclectic, and there were, there were certainly Gnosticism, which kind of believed that Jesus was supernatural, but not God. And uh, there was false doctrine coming in, and they, did, they were dumbing down Jesus. That's one thing you don't want to ever do. You want to put him in his rightful place. And so Paul writes and tells them, listen, we've got to put Jesus in his rightful place. Let's just read a little bit, and then we'll make the, uh, we'll make the application, and we'll conclude this evening. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at it if we can, please. You see a little bit, hit Paul, the apostle of Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So Timothy is, um, is also attached to this particular thing. We write our letters. We write, dear so-and-so, and sign her name at the end. The Eastern way is they give their name at the beginning, and uh, then any greetings at the end. Verse number 2, I want you to notice this. Read it with me, would you please? Everyone out loud. Are you ready? Colossians 1, verse 2. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are in Colossae. 
Okay, now this is just, it, it really is a pretty much a general uh, greeting. However, I, I, I like what he says. He says, saints and what? Oh, boy. He, he, he splits the covey right down the middle. He said, all you, I think you're, to, to the people who are saved and the people who are faithful. What group are you in? Are you in that faithful brethren group, or are you just saved and glad of it? Would you be faithful to, to, to give out? I think I was talking to Brother Rich and Miss Noel, and they said, Pastor, thanks for putting tracks out. Rich and I have been working hard to give out tracks, and over the last several weeks, we have given out over 300 gospel tracks. I think that's a great testimony. Something we all ought to be a little bit more uh, elevated in our work. And by the way, we've got a beautiful Christmas plan. We're going to pray about that in a few moments. But boy, get the word out so people will come. The more people know about it, the more people they'll have a chance to come, get new ears to hear the gospel. But, uh, but are we in that faithful brethren? Are we just in the saint? Are we just in the family or are we actually serving in the family? That's who, who he writes to. I, when I read that this afternoon, I really was convicted. Look at verse number three. We give thanks to God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have of all saints, once again, he says, I've not met you guys, but I've heard that you have a faith in Christ and a love for everybody. That's good. Verse number five, read it with me. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Very good. He said, which is coming to you as it is in, the, in all the world. Isn't it neat how that early on God brought the gospel to all the world. And bringing forth fruit that it doth also in you since the day that ye heard it knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So I think probably Epaphras is either the pastor or one of the main leaders of this church. He says, Epaphras has visited me and he's told me all the stuff about you and it's really good. It's obvious he's a faithful pastor for you. You can see him again. Go over to chapter 4 real quickly. And you'll see another reference of Epaphras. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 4 in Colossians. And let's have a men read verse number 12. All the men. Are you ready? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you fervently for you in prayers that ye might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Ladies, read verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. Okay, so he finds this, this guy. What do you think are some attributes about him that are pretty important? Someone just say it to me real quickly. What's an attribute about, uh, that we learn about Epaphras? I've never met him before, but I know this about him from reading a few, three verses. Yes, sir. He labors fervently. He's a hard worker. Good. We found in verse number, in chapter one, what is, what is his attribute? He was faithful. Yeah, he's faithful. He's a hard worker. What else do we find out about Epaphras? Yeah, he's zealous. He's on fire. And he's got a heart for the Lord. He's got, he's got a purpose going. He's on fire. He's zealous. What else? He prays. Yeah, you see that he prays. And then I think, too, he's not just concerned for Colossae. Where else is he concerned for? He's got a burden for those neighboring towns. Where are those neighboring towns listed there? Yeah, I hope you can pronounce them. <laughs> Laodicea and Hierapolis, those other towns around there. And by the way, you know, I think it'd be good for all of us to be like this guy. Be a faithful minister, to be someone who labors, 
someone who is zealous, someone who prays, and someone who's concerned not just for our area, but other areas. And of course, the, you don't, you, in the, and you look in the Asia Minor in, in Romans, Revelation chapter 3, 2 and 3, he gives us seven churches there. What was one of those churches we just now heard? Laodicea. And, he, and, and it possibly may have been as a result of this one good pastor, this one servant of God who was not just say, happy to be in Colossae, but he took the gospel to the next town. He took it to Laodicea. He took it to Hierapolis. You see the Lord's using there. Okay, let's keep reading in chapter 1. Let's go back. And then, of course, that was a little bit of insight there about Epaphras. But look at verse number 8. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So this church has some great attributes. They have hope. They have spread the gospel to other people. They certainly have faith in Christ and love for the brethren. He said, you also have the love in the Spirit, which is good. Verse number 9, read it with me, would you please? For this cause we also, since the day that we heard it, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And he's going to go to a prayer here. If you were praying, this is something you would want to pray about. This, these, are, these are abstract things, but he says, I want you to pray about that you would have knowledge, that you would have wisdom. I want you to pray that you would have spiritual understanding. You know, the, the knowledge is the what. Wisdom is the how. And understanding is the why of Christianity. Some people, all they know is the what. Well, I'm supposed to dress like this. I know. I was taught when I was a kid. Okay? And some folks, they just got they get stuck here. Well, this is the way we do things. I know it's what we do. This is what the church believes. They just know the what. Some people know the how, how to apply it. They have more than knowledge. They have wisdom on how to put it in practice at the workplace, in the neighborhood, at school. But blessed is the man or woman who has spiritual understanding. They know the why. They figured it out. It's not just about a rule on a page. It's not just about a dogma that is taught. There's a why. And I think it's very good. He said, this church, you guys are, I'm praying that not only you'll take your knowledge, what you know, the what, but you will apply it, how, and wisdom. And then you will, you'll understand the why. Some people, they throw it to the winds because you'll never I'll never live someone else's spiritual standards for a lifetime. Somewhere along the line, it has to become mine. And it has to become your own. And, and if you'll never get to spiritual understanding, that's where it's going to stop. If you only know the what, when you get tired of hearing the what, you'll just go on. If you don't know how to apply it and you don't know why you do what you do, then it's gonna, you're going to get squirrely real quick. And you'll, you'll, find your way, you'll find your way going somewhere else and doing something else and being comfortable in the dark. And I think this is something he prayed for. Then, by the way, these are things I ought to pray for, for our children, for our spouse. We ought to pray this for, for your pastor. <laughs> pray this for the, your Sunday school kids. Uh, earnestly, when you get down to pray, don't say, well, God, just bless them all, be good to everybody, and take care of everything, and help them with their, their school. I mean, that's fine. But this is some real prayer requests here. Help them to be full with knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding. He goes on to say other things. He says, help them to have, give worth to the ministry. Give God what he deserves there, that they would walk pleasing and they would be fruitful and they would be thank, thankful and giving. And then he goes into a, 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 a really a, a poem about Jesus that he puts in there. And we'll learn more about that in a moment. Let's go, if we can, please, to chapter 1, verse 27. Here, back on your lesson here, is the key verse 
I oftentimes would, I, I, as a matter of fact, when I taught this particular book, I would always would say probably verse 18 is the key verse, and he is the head of the church, the body of the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn, then all things he might have the preeminence. I would not argue with that, but I really like verse 27. Let's read it together. Can we please? Chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's something that you have that uh, the Old Testament saints didn't have. Samson didn't know what it was like to have an indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God came upon him for certain purpose, but he didn't know what that was like. Aren't you glad when you close your eyes tonight in bed, you know the Holy Spirit's with you? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you can talk to him? The Bible says that Abraham went to the place that he stood before the Lord. Abraham, as great as he was, he didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. But the great mystery that's unveiled in the New Testament is that now Christ is in you. And he's the hope of glory. What a wonderful thing. And by the way, once he's in you, does he ever leave you? No. He says, no, lo, I am with you always. He says, I will never, nor, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes into you, he'll be with you forever. That's a wonderful principle. You know, you and I, and when we're saved, we're kind of like a five-gallon bucket sitting on the bottom of the ocean. The ocean's in the bucket, and the bucket's in the ocean. It's a good thing. We're all in, and he's all in us. And we can never be separated. It's a great truth. He said, he said the thing we have to realize, this, this Christ that you've dumbed down, and you're listening to some of these false teachers saying, oh, you know, he's not all that. He said, look, no, no, he's got to be preeminent. And he's in you, and that's the hope of glory. You don't have him. You don't have eternal life. And then he goes on the next verse, and he tells everybody, and then just look at it real quickly. This, this is just a blessing to me. Verse 28, Jesus, whom, he's the antecedent. We talked about this with the Hammond Baptist uh, uh, teachers the other day. Whom we preach. Jesus should be preached. Warning how many people. When you, go, when you win people to Christ, you're really going out soul warning. <laughs> you're just telling them, hey, need to come to Jesus, teaching how many people in all wisdom, God's ways, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. By the way, this is something that's why we, why we ought to be faithful at winning people to Christ. We ought to be faithful to win people to Christ and then help them uh, be taught in the wisdom of how to, to apply Christianity. And then we ought to help them be perfected perfected every man so that he'll do the work of God. And, you know, this is why we have the Bible Institute, why we have Howells Anderson College, why we have Christian schools. This is why we, we have discipleship programs, why we, we've over there folks are discipling now. That's why we had 16 uh, people in our discipleship lessons on Sunday morning. Probably about 10 of them have gotten saved in the last two months or so, and they're going to discipleship. This is good. Why? Because our job is to warn people about uh, eternal life, to teach them, the wisdom of God, and then to, to perfect them. And by the way, you need to do that individually as well as we need to do it corporately. You ought to be, every one of us. And by the way, we're mostly dealing with adults in this room. Most of the kids are Transformer Kids Club. But every one of us ought to make someone else's spiritual maturity our personal responsibility. Who are you working with? Who's going to be, who are you personally helping to grow closer to God? Every one of us. He said, well, pastor, I'm just so busy. You're too busy. You're too busy doing stuff that won't matter in eternity, and that's what will matter. 
He said, this is what it is. Now, I think the last verse of this passage tells us why we don't do it. And I think you can see the concept, and this is a problem for me as well. Look at verse 29. Can we read it together, everyone? Whereunto I also, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Would you tell me the key word of that verse? Labor and work. I never had a baby. I watched Miss Linda have nine of them. But she would tell you this. It's easier to have a baby than it is to raise one. <laughs> you know what it's been to raise nine children? Work. Toil, challenges, frustrations. I would look at my kids sometimes and say, are you kidding me? What were you thinking? Boy, it's work. It's work to teach them to work. It's work to, keep, to, to reason with them. Sometimes when they're little, you just like tell them what to do. You expect them to do it. And they get older, then they just start getting dumber and dumber. They become more work. You're like, come on, man, get this. But, you know, that's the kind of way it is discipling converts. It takes labor. It takes work. It takes a, a working. By the way, you're not working by yourself. Who's working with you? He says, his working in me. Who's, who's interested in getting people to grow in the Lord more than you are, more than I am? Well, the Lord is, sure. Well, let's go back to our, our outline, if we can, please. I'll give you these, these thoughts. I hope you'll read the book of, First Corinthians, or of Colossians. Read 1 Corinthians 2 if you want to. But um, we see the introduction in chapters 1 through, uh, 1 through 14. And then we see the truth about Christ. And he becomes paramount. We'll see that momentarily. There's three things, that the, the truth about Christ Jesus. Number one, we see his deity is laid out. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says he's God, number one. Number two, he talks about his death, his death on the cross and what that did. It blotted out the, 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 um, the, uh, the ordinances that were against us. And then C, his commands or his demands, excuse me. He tells us what to do. And he said, look, don't just, don't just be glad you got a Savior who is God who did die for you, but take him to the world. Preach about him. Teach about him. Share with other people. Help other people come mature in him. That's what his demands are. Then uh, the truth, chapter 2, is about confusing doctrines. The truth about confusing doctrines. And, of course, they had the liberalism on one side, the orthodoxy on the other, the legalism, if you will. And they were all fighting toward there. And there was a lot of problems and dissension there. And he comes in and he lays the hammer down. And he says, look, when Jesus died on the cross, he did away with the ordinances that were against you. You don't need, you don't need, don't argue about new moons. Don't argue about Sabbath days like, this, like the Seventh-day Adventists will do. He said, don't, don't get caught up in these things. He goes, Jesus took that away. Now we live in grace. Doesn't mean we live without organ, organized uh, or with, uh, with structural holiness, but we don't, we don't have to have all those things that were against us. And he begins to tell them about that. But then he also talks about purity. We spent chapter 3, remember Brother Beckham, have you talked to the Father today? <laughs> and then he came in, open your Bibles every time to Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen, seek those things which are above, and you had to mortify, you have to, you have to put to death and slay those, those things that are on the flesh. He begins to tell them, you can't live an immoral life and live for God. Can't do it. You can't live an angry life and honor the Lord. You can't do it. So he says, you've got to put these away. You've got to mortify these members. You've got to put them away. Then you've got to put on the new man, which is renewed in holiness and so forth and so on. So he's going to be able to, he's tackling both factions at the same time and uh, working on the confusing doctrines. Then the, lesson, the next one, chapter 3 
through chapter 4, verse number 6, is the truth about Christian living. This is where the practical part begins, especially in, uh, in the practical Christian living, and then the conclusion, and a, and, a, and a little greeting at the end. Here's a couple lessons to ponder. We've got four minutes. Let me just give it to you quickly if I can. Knowing Christ and walking with Him brings stability and confidence. Knowing Christ and walking with Him brings uh, stability and confidence. If you would please just remember this particular statement. And the Bible says, if ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. You can tell a lot about someone by how they walk. Okay? You can tell when I'm broke. You can tell when someone's pretty confident. Last night I walked the guy and he was upset. He was mad. He was yelling. He was punching stuff. I can just tell by walking him, I want to stay out of his way. He was mad. I, I didn't hear what he said. I just could tell by he was walking, stay out of his way. He's mad at the world. He'll be mad at you if you get in his way. I can tell. You can usually tell someone's uh, mad or frustrated. A lot of things you can tell by the walk. You know what God wants us to do? He said, I want you to walk in such a way the world can tell that guy's okay. That girl's, there's something different about that girl. The way that she responds, the way he responds, your conduct. But when we walk with God, we also get something that's a byproduct of walking with God, and that's confidence and courage. Because courage does not come because of who you are, but who you know is with you. When you know someone's with you, you ever see a bully on the playground? He's not a bully by himself. It's only when he's got his little gang members with him, he gets a little hot-headed and, and talker, and, you know, because he feels confident because now he's got backup. But if he didn't have anybody, if, he if his big brother's not there, then he's, he shuts his mouth. Because confidence does not come because of who we are. We're all chicken-hearted. Confidence comes because we've got somebody with us. If you're packing a gun out in the community, you're probably a little more confident than I would be <laughs> if, you, if you ran into somebody that was, that was accosting you. Why? Because you've you got, you got a little more confidence there. Because of who's with you, not necessarily who you are. Look at the next thing real quickly if we can. Number two, evaluate all philosophies and traditions under the microscope of God's wonderful word. Chapter 2, verses 6 or 8, we'll take time to read this. We read it again on Sunday. It's a great passage of scripture. But chapter 2, right in the middle of this uh, truth about confusing doctrines, he says in verse number 6, read it with me, would you please? And as ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord... Then verse number seven, men, read that, would you please? Rooted and built it up in him. And ye have been taught, abounding therein with, or several wonderful concepts there. But uh, make sure you're grateful. Make sure you're thankful. Then beware, lest any man spoil you. Lest any man spoil you or take away from you. And here's how they'll do it. Not with a gun, not with a rifle, not barging your home. They'll do it. They'll, they'll, they'll cheat you through philosophy. Wrong thinking, vain deceit, empty lies, after traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And of course, you see the two similarities, the orthodox, the, the, those people who are caught up in traditions, and others who are caught up in the rudiments of the world, the worldly. He said, don't get, don't get, uh, don't get short-sheeted on these areas. Evaluate. All of us ought to really learn to say, God... What does the Bible say? You got a decision? What does God want me to do? A good way to ask your counselor is say, what do you think I should do? Why don't you stop it right there and say, what does the Lord tell me to do? Where, where can I go in the Bible? 
Boy, our counselors, we ought to make sure that we give biblical counsel, but it should come from the Scriptures. The best, safest way to make a decision, as there's a way that seemeth right to the man, but at the end of that way are the ways of what? Death. You want to, you want to end a marriage? You want to end good relationships? You want to end, cause death to situations, opportunities? Just do what you want to do. Do what seems right to you and me. But he said, but uh, as for God, his way is perfect. It's what will bring a, a, a desired result. Number three, seek those things which are above in your personal, your spiritual, domestic, business, and secular lives. So seek the things which are above in your personal, spiritual, domestic, business dealings, and your secular lives. And then the last one, friendships matter. <clears throat> let's go to chapter 4 real quickly. I'm a little bit over time here, but let me just real quickly, let's look at chapter 4. And you'll see verse 7 through the end of the chapter, Paul will name several people that, were his, that he references here. You know, it's, a, it's amazing that God loves people more than anything. If you and I only had one book to write to mankind, I don't think we would use as many people as God used. 3,237 names are in the Bible. People that are referenced. Now, if I had only one book, I would probably skip over some of those names. Like Onesiphorus, I'd just skip over his name altogether. But God doesn't. God puts their names in the Bible. 3,237 names. Because names are important and people are important. I was talking to Brother Keith Cowling as he talked to our teachers meeting. By the way, if you're a teacher and a worker in our Sunday school, please come to the 630 meeting. That's what you ought to do. When the team gets in the huddle, if you'll show up, that'll be better. If you come to practice, just practice with us. Be there. There's some important information, and some of us just decided we don't want to come, and we want to be the exception instead of the rule. And I think it's important that if you're a teacher or a worker in the Sunday schools, go to that meeting. But he was talking and gave us some great in information tonight about, about working on the individual person in your class. Well, God does that, and he'll name each of the people. Here's, here's my assignment for you. Consider reading this night before you go to bed and find out what made each person special to him. He knew some of them because of suffering. They were prisoners together. He knew some of them because they were, they were a help to him. He knew Luke because he was his constant personal physician who helped him through physical problems. He'll name numbers of them, and you'll see that, you know, God has given you people and your, your people in your life and my life that have become friends because of difficult times. I have a friend named Ed Bordell. He's a missionary to Costa Rica. We support he and his lovely wife. But um, I, was, I went, to his, went to see his son. His son was dying of leukemia. And, uh, and I saw him before he passed away, and then I heard he passed away, and I went up to the funeral and spent some time with him. And I just I didn't know at that time that a few, uh, next year later we would have a son who would pass away. But we have that together. We have something, a bond there. When we get together, it's certainly I, I know him because we've suffered together, it's the same thing. You'll have other people that are your friends because of that. You'll have different friends that God will put in your life, and you're like, I don't even know how I know them, but we have this bond. And Paul took time to say, hey, Onesimus, he's my fellow prisoner. Remember him? He's going to help me because of this. And Luke, he helps me because of this. And even Demas, who later on leaves him, having loved this present world, he mentions here as a fellow helper. It might be a good idea for us.